listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, amen. Y'all have a seat. Man, I, I tell you what, I don't know about you, I, I miss Tuesday night gathering. Don't you guys? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Man. Um, that's two weeks ago, we wanted to take a, a break after retreat. A lot of people uh, did not study at all who were already behind in studying probably during retreat. Um, maybe they were tired and we were like, let's just take, let's take a week off. And then we didn't anticipate the ice and snow last week. And so, yeah, it's been like three weeks. It's been crazy. So uh, good to see you again. Um, hope you guys are hanging in there as, uh, man, we don't have that many weeks left, do we? Yeah, we've, kinda, we've got this week, next week, and then the week after that, whatever day that is, at the 17th. I had this memorized earlier today. Um, and that's really the last normal Tuesday night gathering that we have. We go home for Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, some of you, are, or many of you are not coming back, and we're going to have something December 1st. Uh, for those of you who are in town, kind of a uh, hot chocolate and Christmas hymns type thing. Um, and, and that'll be it. We'll, we'll have our, our break. So I don't know about you, if you resonate with this, it's been a fast semester, it feels like, but also a so crazy semester, you know, kind of all at the same time. Um, and, and it's for that reason that things have gone by so quickly that, man, we've, we've got to jump straight into this series. And so as Caitlin mentioned, we're going to talk about reaching the unreached. That's the name of, of our series. And, and in accordance with that, promoting missions opportunities to you for you uh, to go to consider. Guess what? Not all of those require physically going. There's literally some options where if you're good with social media and tech, like you can help missionaries just by sitting at your computer and doing stuff, right? Am I right on that? That's one of the jobs. Cool. I want to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. I mean, there are options for literally everyone um, in this room that is interested. And, and also promoting our, our discipleship. Like all of these things are in conjunction. When we talk about reaching the unreached and missions and discipleship, it's all obeying the Great Commission. And so here we are. It's November. It's 2020. Um, and by way of introduction, I, I, I want to ask you, um, have you ever kind of had an experience where you've, where you've said maybe a sentence that started like this, what is it going to take for this person to change? Insert thing to change. Like, what is it going to take for this to happen? Right? You ever asked that? What is it going to take for this pandemic to end? Right? You ever asked that? Like, what changes are going to need to happen in order for this to change? Like, what, what is supposed to happen? And so, like, in... Um, uh, on Netflix, how many of you have heard of the documentary Last Chance University? Anybody? Last Chance University? So it's, it's about guys who go to uh, a junior college to play football, not because that was their dream. <laughs> it's because they blew their chance for some reason in Division One or Division Two. Maybe it was for grades. Maybe it was a moral decision. Whatever it may be, maybe a life decision. Just They end up at a junior college, and what they've got to do is they've got their last chance to maybe put in a good year or two, maybe get back to Division One or Two, and maybe have the hopes of going to the pros. And when you watch the show of these guys, it's kind of frustrating. Like, I kind of want to pull my hair out. Like, when you first met me, I didn't have hair, but I have hair now. So I can say, pull my hair out, right? Um, and so I'm growing my hair out. But I watch these guys, and there's, like, mistakes that they're making in their life. Like, um, 
they'll, they'll be a, a tremendous athlete. I mean, just amazing. They'll have amazing performance. And then their coaches will find out they're literally failing every single class. <laughs> like every single class. Like even like health. Like who, who fails health, right? And, and why, <laughs> Hunter Peterson raised his hand. Sorry, bro. Hit a, hit a soft spot there. Um, it's gonna be all right, man. You'll get it next semester. Um, anyway, and, and so why are they failing their class? Well, they're, they're not going to class. <laughs> why, why are they failing their exams when they're not taking their exams? Why are they failing the project? They're, they're not going. And, and there's some that's like, man, they're having such an amazing year. And, and then you, they have a, a moral decision that they make. Like it's, it's a, just a bad choice that they make. And you, you find out, okay, this, this decision, this failure, um, that they had here actually is going to affect the rest of their life. And as I'm watching this show, uh, you're going to see where I'm going with this in a minute. Like I, I'm thinking to myself, like these guys keep making these same mistakes. Like what is it going to take for them to care about the things that are setting the trajectory of their life? Like they keep making the wrong choice over and over and over again. It's going to impact like their entire future. It's, it's frustrating. I'm just watching a documentary. And to be honest with you, asking the question like, what is it going to take for this to change or that to change, the, the, the context of which I think I as a pastor maybe ask this the most in, in churches, examples like this. Man, what is it going to, and this is not an indictment, what is it going to take for this person to really see they don't, this relationship is not good for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what is it going to take for this person to see that being in the word and praying to the Lord consistently as much as possible is the main way that they're going to be able to grow? What is it going to take for them to see that, yes, I know you're busy, there's lots of exams going on, whatever, but man, gathering with the body and worshiping is so important. Like, what's it going to take in their life for them to see that that's important? And the context of, of what we're talking about tonight, here's, here's a question that I want to pose for you and something that I see. What is it going to take for us to care about reaching the unreached? What life experience do you and I need to have <laughs> in order for us to care about the fact that there are thousands and thousands of people dying every day here all around the world? And let's just say apart from Christ, we know they're not going to heaven, right? Eternal realities at stake. Things that are like the trajectory of people's lives are at stake for eternity. What is it going to take for us to care? I don't know about what, what you think, but when you care about something, usually you do something about that thing, right? Something you care about, you pursue. So if you care about making good grades, um, at this point in the semester, you may not be here tonight. <laughs> That's right, you're studying a lot. But anyway, if you, if you care about this relationship, you're going to cultivate that. If you care about your family, you're going to cultivate that. If you care about where you're going to work someday, you're going to pursue that. If there's a problem that you care about, you're going to fix that problem, that solution. The church often ignores the greatest problem that, that we'll ever face, and that is the fact that the task that Jesus gave us before he died, is, sorry, before he ascended, <laughs> not before he died, the task Jesus gave us in the Great Commission before he ascended to heaven is still unfinished. There's work yet to be done. There are people that haven't heard the gospel. And so my question for you, the question we're gonna answer tonight is, what does it take? What life experience do you and I need to have to care about this? I am so encouraged because 
in Isaiah chapter six, you can go ahead and turn there, we're gonna see a guy who's gonna show us in eight verses the answer to this question. What does it take? What do we need to experience in our lives to begin really caring about reaching the unreached? Can I provide for you a caveat real quick? When I, when I get up here and, and, and preach just from my background, the way I've been taught, man, I, I like to get excited. And I don't like to, to back off. You know, I like, I like to let God's word speak. And some, a lot of times God's word is, is very serious and pointed and clear. And I wanna proclaim that as worship to God. So that means sometimes preaching can get intense. Sometimes preaching can get, it should be convicting. It's hopefully through the spirit of God to create life change. But what I wanna tell you tonight, all that's true. But I'm speaking tonight as someone that doesn't assume that I have all this figured out, okay? I'm not the, I'm not the guy who's been on a mission before, who's been overseas and lived there, and I'm gonna tell you how, how life should be. That's not, that's not how it is. I, I need to grow in this area. I was talking with Caitlin before the semester started, and here's a convicting question that God put on my heart. God, like, just, it's like he asked me, not verbally, just in, in, my, in my spirit, Cole, if everyone in the journey were to live exactly the way you live and do exactly what you do, would you be making much progress in reaching the unreached? Man, maybe a little bit, but we'd still have a long way to go. I could be on the campus a lot more. I could be talking to my cashier a lot more. I could be offering prayer to my door dasher a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? I could be doing so much better. So what I want you to know is this is something to where I can't make you care about this, but to give you a visual, what I, and I can't, I can't ultimately be the one that leads you through this. Jesus is going to have to lead us through this, right? Amen. And so what I want you to know, as much as I get passionate about this, this is like my niche. It's like apologetics and like mission. So like I get super pumped about this. But what I picture is Jesus is kind of over there and like he's convicted me like this is kind of a direction I, I have for the journey. This is something I want you to care about. This is a place I want you to lead. I can't make you change, but what I can do is like, hey, God, he's leading us this way like come on let's go does it make sense let's go here like come along with me we're gonna do this together y'all tracking with that you good and so looking at the life of Isaiah verses one through six y'all there in Isaiah chapter six short background Isaiah was a prophet it's in this chapter he receives his calling to proclaim actually a, a lot of judgment he also proclaims the coming of Jesus. We get some prophecy there. Um, but Isaiah is being called to be a prophet. This is where this all happened. This is where Isaiah's life changed forever. Again, the question is, what needs to happen in your life for you to care about reaching the unreached? Let's read this together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched, you get this, this is a strange scene. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's not how God sounds, by the way. I just raised my voice. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? All right, back to it. Then I said, this is Isaiah, here, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. What needs to happen in your life for you to care about reaching the unreached? First, I want you to lean into this. We need to see. If we want to care about the unreached, just like Isaiah, we need to see ourselves in light of the glory and holiness of God. We need to see ourselves in light of the glory and holiness of God. Let's unpack this a little bit. Here's what's happening. Isaiah is having a vision. This is not physically happening. He's having a vision. It's in the presence of God and the seraphim in the temple. They are proclaiming what we can know is a song because of the way it's structured in scripture. And they are saying a high, what's called a superlative. They're, they're using an expression as highly as they can speak about God. They're repeating it. Holy, holy, holy to God. That's all they can say. They can't think of a better word. So they just repeat it over and over and over again. And while Isaiah is sitting there and he's witnessing this. Isaiah has also a threefold realization within himself as he's encountering the glory and holiness of God for the first time. What he's saying about himself and seeing about himself is I am sinful, sinful, sinful. I am unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. I am unclean, unclean, unclean. And for what we know, what's crazy, this is Isaiah saying this in the presence of God. He was probably a pretty stand-up guy, right? Probably pretty, pretty righteous dude, like chosen a God to be a prophet. But all he can do is he hears a thundering voice, the foundations are shaking, and there's smoke. This is frightening. Like, this would be an excellent scary movie scene, agreed? Like if you wanted to scare somebody, you do this. You shake the building they're in and put a bunch of smoke in it. Like this is frightening. But the power and the might and the glory of God is in his presence in this vision. What's up with the lips thing, though? Why are his lips unclean? Has he been kissing somebody? You know what I mean? Like, he's like, yeah, probably. Like, did he have a realization? Like, man, I shouldn't have kissed her. <laughs> like, what's up with the lips? In biblical language, often in the Psalms, it doesn't usually say that you sing with the, the tongue. Sometimes, but often it says, I, I declare with my lips your praise. You track with what I mean? Often you hear that word. With my lips, I declare this. With my lips, I declare that. Guys, check this out. Isaiah has had such an encounter with God. He's seen such a contrast between how great God is and how unworthy he is to be in his presence. He's hearing these seraphim, who are not created in the image of God, by the way, probably 
pretty strange looking creatures just right off the bat. You know what I'm saying? They're singing a song, holy, holy, holy. He's saying, my lips are unclean. What I use to sing, I cannot use. I can't even sing a song of praise to God. That's how unworthy I am. Could you imagine walking in here tonight and, 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 and feeling as if you were so unworthy? You know when we worship together, we're in the presence of God? Just fun, fun facts for you. If you didn't know that, it's awesome. God meets us when we worship. And, and, and if you were to think to yourself, I can't even sing, um, I, I am who you say I am. I can't even sing that. I feel so unworthy. That's kind of what Isaiah was experiencing tonight. And I think what, again, this contrast idea, like you, you know what, what kind of happens when we think really highly of our own abilities, right? When we haven't contrasted ourselves with someone better, what happens? Any of you ever think that you were really smart, maybe in like grade school growing up, and then like someone got a better grade than you on like a quiz or test? Did you ever do the mad minute? It, was, that, was that a thing? Am I just old? You know the mad minute? Like I was so good at that. And then like, Someone else came along and like got it done faster. Like I was so mad, right? Some of us think we're the most athletic. Someone stronger comes along, faster. I I played football with a guy's name was Rufus McCann. I I kid you not, every single area, bigger, stronger, faster. Couldn't beat the dude. Like every single time he started over me, like all three, all like, anyway, anyway, I'm bitter still, obviously. But like, you, you know what it feels like when you think you're the smartest, when you think you're the, the coolest and most relevant, and then someone from Dallas or Austin comes along, and you're like, I'm not that cool or relevant, right? All right? And, and then you, you think that you're the best looking, and someone better looking comes along. You think you're the most popular, and someone more popular comes along. We know the idea when we see ourselves in contrast to someone or something that's better than us or surpasses us, it gives us this feeling, a reality, a sober reality of where we actually stand. And that's on a fleshly level. And what's happening with Isaiah is he's getting the sobering reality of like, oh my, literally, God. <laughs> wow. You're going to let me be? I'm not even supposed to be in your presence, God. Like it's almost like he wants to hide his sin and, and curl up. He sees himself in contrast with God for the first time. See, a lot of times on a daily basis, if we're not aware of this, we don't say, wow is me. The world and culture, uh, woe wo is me. We, we say, wow is me, right? I messed up my saying. Dang it, I was so excited to say that all week. I'm going to say it again. We don't say, woe is me. We say, wow is me, right? The culture tells us to be in, in, emphatically just in love with ourselves, right? Like worship yourself. Everything is catered to us to, to preach and teach to us that we are God, that we are great and we're amazing. I wonder if many of us believe that lie. We bring that mentality into church and we demand that, that you, you better have the same convictions that I have about everything, You better play the songs that I want to hear, not even realizing the reality that unless it was for Jesus Christ, we wouldn't even be unworthy to speak a word because our lips are unclean. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you had an experience where you've contrasted yourself with the glory and holiness of God. And I want you to ponder that. I want you to ponder how amazing it is that that reality is true. The woe is me reality is true. And yet God, he wants 
to speak to us and talk to us. God has taken an interest in us. But to really care about that, you have to have experienced the humility of Isaiah 6. And I pose that question to you not have you? Have you gone from wow is me to woe is me ever in your life when you realized who God really is and who you really are? So in order to care first about reaching the unreached, we've got to see ourselves in contrast in light of God's glory and holiness. Otherwise, we think this whole thing is about us. We're like showing up to worship and we're like, man, God, it's your lucky day. You get to spend time with me. Right? It can be farther from the truth. We're the best ones. And so, as we keep moving forward, thank God, thank Him that it's not enough just to see ourselves rightly in our sin because the story doesn't end there. You have to know next what God does in response to the woe is me reality. You, you, ha- you have to know what God did in response to that. It wasn't like Isaiah said, woe, woe is me, and, Isaiah, and the God was like, yep, that's right, see you later, vision over. <laughs> it's not what happened, is it? Let's keep reading. What needs to happen in your life for you to care about reaching the unreached? Let's read verses six through seven in chapter six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand the burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Friends, in order to care about reaching the unreached, we need to have that woe is me experience. We need to see ourselves in light of the glory and holiness of God. And then right here, what we see that Isaiah got to experience, as he said, woe is me, he got to experience God's grace firsthand. And that's what we have to experience if we're going to care about this reaching the unreached thing. Let's unpack this. Remember, this is a vision. This is not heaven. This is in the temple. And we know that sacrifices were made in the temple, correct? And we know what happens at the altar, right? In the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, sacrifices for sin were made, right? It's a word called atonement. The sacrifice, various sacrifices, animals we call Jesus the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. Atonement, forgiveness happens at the altar. And where did the seraphim grab the burning coal from? The altar. And what does the effect of intense heat and burning have? For boiled water, purified water, Burning, intense heat has a purifying effect. Isaiah said, I have unclean lips. This beautiful imagery of God is God is trying to point Isaiah to say forgiveness happens at the altar. And guess what? Isaiah didn't walk to the altar. Do you notice that? God, through the seraphim, initiated that. God provided the provision that Isaiah needed to be forgiven. He sent his messenger to him and said, I got you, bro. (laughs) In New Testament, when Jesus comes, he 
say replaces the author is misleading. He fulfills the law. He fulfills the author. That's why we sing the song, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. When we, when we sing that song, the altar is the cross. Forgiveness happens at the cross. In the same way that the seraphim, through God, God's messenger, came to Isaiah, provided forgiveness and reconciliation, the God-man, Jesus Christ, comes to us and dies on the altar known as the cross for our sins. We didn't initiate it. We couldn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Guys, that's cool. I'm just like, man, look, look at God. Look at God in this picture. Look at God in this vision. You know, I, I, it was hard for me um, to talk about specific details to many of you about um, retreat because I'm still in my first year here, coming up really, really close. Um, gonna be a full year here, but we're not there yet. So that means there are things I haven't experienced. So going to Capitan, um, did I say that right? I'm just gonna go with it. Um, <laughs> Capitan. Uh, <laughs> Uh, going to New Mexico and, and seeing Lone Tree, like, and I, I heard, like, it, 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 was, it was pretty. I'm like, I don't know, it's New Mexico. Like, don't you have to go to Colorado, like, to see the mountains? And I'm like, okay, cool, that's really, it's really pretty. That's gorgeous. And just got to see it for myself and see from inside the worship center what they were talking about when they said that you could view the landscape even from inside. Like, it was amazing. It was wonderful. But guess what? Beforehand, I was trying to describe it to you guys and promote it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Oh, we're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. And it was, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was trying to describe something that I hadn't experienced. And wonder if we can kind of get in a rut. And I'm not, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying in the Christian life so many times when we talk about experiencing God's grace, that's something that happened in the past when we were five or ten or early teenage years or just happened a few years ago, wherever you're at whenever God saved you, whenever you believe in the gospel. But an active, daily experience of God's grace was like, well, man, what's that? I think many of us have not had a firsthand experience with his grace. We can talk about it, we can rattle off a few verses, got some theological knowledge in our back pocket, and kind of whip out and be like, yeah, boom, I'm mature, I'm awesome. But are we walking in grace? Are you kind of like me with retreat, like, you can talk about it. Not really experiencing it. I think what can happen to us and what we can experience is available because I see it, it happened to Isaiah. So here's the thing I want you to ponder. When we talk about being passionate about reaching the unreached, if we're living and walking in the sort of incomplete, lacking in the fullness and grace and mercy of all that God offers to us, why would we be passionate about telling others about that? Really? Like some of us are so many struggling, right, with man, does God really love me? Is my guilt really taken away? Is my shame really taken away? Does he really see Jesus Christ and his righteousness when he looks at me? And sometimes we, man, it's just not to believe it. But it's true. 
so many of us, we haven't experienced and encountered the grace of God. And so here's the thing. Why would you care, friends? I'm not saying it's the mean way. Why would you care about telling others about something that actually has no power for you in your life? And even if you're verbalizing what the gospel actually is, why would you be passionate about telling others about something that you haven't experienced yourself? Friends, I don't want to let off the gas here because I don't know how you can actually encounter who God is and what he's done for you. And I'm not talking about leaving the day and going to North Korea, which you can't even do anyway, so don't do that, all right, to be a missionary. I'm talking about, like, I don't know how you can experience that. Yes, I just, a college pastor just told you not to go on mission to North Korea. That happened on the record. What I'm saying to you is I don't know how you can experience that and not care. Like at least in an elementary, early believer's days, not at least be a little bit passionate. Amen? So how do you experience the gospel then? I'm not gonna lean heavy on that and, and tell you, not give you the answer to that. You gotta learn it. Wanna learn the gospel? Three easy words. God saves sinners. And then you preach that gospel to yourself. You know what I've had to do in certain seasons of my life? Even recently. Literally, preach the gospel to myself. Cole, remember, God, like your creator, he created you. You're, you, you sinned, you, you messed it up, you screwed it up entirely. He loves you. He pursued you in love. He gives you his son, Jesus Christ. He died for your sin, rose from the dead to defeat your sin, defeat your guilt, defeat your shame, defeat your pride that makes you want to be the best person in the room all the time when it's not even about that. Yeah, I can get really specific. <laughs> yeah, he died for that, Cole. He died for your feelings of insecurity as a leader. He died for your fears of, of failure, of failing this ministry. He, he died for the, the things that maybe you could have done better in the pandemic or way you could have said this or that. That's where I'm going. That was nailed to the cross, Cole. And he, because of your experience of seeing how worthy you are and because you believe in Jesus Christ, Cole, you are forgiven you are made clean. Your guilt has been taken away, just like Isaiah. That's what you do. You meditate on that reality. You ponder it. You allow yourself to take time to just simply just reflect upon the love that God has shown you in Christ Jesus. That's how you experience the gospel. That's how you experience God's grace firsthand. You're not conjuring up anything. You're not making something up. You're looking at the reality of Jesus Christ, amen? What he's done for you. Is that grace unbelievable? Because some of you still don't believe it. You're like, I just can't ponder how that's true. How can God love me? Well, guess what? I, got, I think you're onto something. Because I don't think the song Amazing Grace is popular literally every place around the world where there's a Christian for just no reason. It's because it is amazing. When grace stops being amazing, when grace seems so believable and understandable that we're not amazed by it, that's when we got a problem. Amen? It's unfathomable. It's so incredible. And so just like you can taste an amazing meal 
and before you eat it, you don't stop and go demand to know the recipe. I gotta know everything that's in this in order to enjoy it. No, just eat the cake, you know? <laughs> just eat the cake. Not, not as much cake as I've eaten in my life. You know, go easy, but enjoy it. Same thing, you don't need to know every little aspect of like, why does God love me? Can I be sure? Like, yes, you can know. You don't have to know the intricacies of it. You don't have to, have to know, oh, oh man, like, but I, but I did this, and how could he forgive that? Well, he's loving. It just is. It's amazing grace. Just be amazed by it. Believe in it. Y'all, y'all tracking with that? Yeah, it seemed quiet. So I was just reflecting on that. In order to care about reaching the unreached, we need a firsthand experience with God's grace. And so until now, we've discussed necessary things that really need to happen just in our hearts and in our minds. Like we haven't even, as of right now, if we were to just leave, it's like, well, the unreached are still unreached. Like, good luck to them, all right? What we need to take is we need to take those realities that we have to experience the woe is me reality. We need to experience the reality of God's grace and believe it and embrace it. And it's amazing. You're not going to be able to fully understand it. You're going to spend your whole life trying to conjure up how in the world God could love you so much. But he does. And then we've got to reckon that with action. We've got to put our gospel theology into action. Our our theology has to become practical. It has to flow over into the decisions and ways that we act. What needs to happen in your life for you to care about reaching the unreached? You need to take a drink of water. That's just me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Let's read this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Friends, in order to care about reaching the unreached, you need to put your yes on the table before God. I want you to notice something. In this story, Isaiah didn't wait 15, 20 years before proclaiming the reality that he already had known and experienced. Right? Y'all go check out some study Bibles, do some commentaries. It's not there. Immediately after Isaiah's encounter in first hand of God's grace, he's been made clean. What's the very next thing that happens? God commissions him. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me like I'm right here. Seth always says that. Put me in, coach. That's right. Put me in, coach. Here's the reality I want you to lean into and ask yourself, have you experienced? Isaiah went from woe is me to here I am. How did that happen? Saw himself in contrast with the holiness and glory of God. Had a firsthand experience with God's grace. And he was ready. I don't want to be the only one to experience this. I want, I'll go wherever you want me to, Lord, to tell other people about this. This is too great for it to not be coming off the lips that you, by the way, have just made clean. You know, sometimes you experience something so incredible that you can't but act on what you experienced. Um, I remember going to my um, first Rangers game, professional baseball game. 
I know the Rangers are awful, generally speaking, but it was awesome. I remember going to another country for the first time. I remember seeing, uh, man, I, I remember, just not to get too gushy, I, I remember being in this room for the first time. It's last December. Y'all didn't even know I was here interviewing and stuff. It's awesome. Worshiping with you, being in this room, and God showing me. Like, there's some things that are so incredible that you experience that they just demand change. You know what I'm talking about? You have incredible experiences. Maybe you've been some places, experienced some, some things. To, to know someone who loves you unconditionally, maybe. To, and I remember this happened for me very, very distinctly. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah has his story of what really changed his life forever, and I, I believe I have mine. I think I've, after 29 years, I've kind of pinpointed that I think this, this was the hinging point. So I put my yes on the table, not necessarily out of a good heart, um, but I put my yes on the table when I was 16 years old in 2008 to go on a mission trip to India. A lot of it had to do was I really loved my youth pastor. Like, he could ask me to do anything, and I would have done it. <laughs> like, you can ask Caitlin. Like, I love Jacob West. He's a pastor in Plainview right now. Um, and, like, my mom also decided he wanted to go with me. It was kind of a family thing as well. And, I, honestly, how cool, right? See the Taj Mahal. Like, go to India. Like, pretty cool. It's some Indian food. Like, just a cool life experience, right? So I put my yes on the table, and I think there's a little bit of good motive there. Get there. Fast forward. We're doing all these like crusades. We're getting to share our testimony in English in these backwood like villages in southern India. Like I've never, I couldn't even pronounce their name if I tried. Like some of these areas, like probably couldn't even today Google still like, I don't even know where to find that. You know what I mean? Like these are areas of people who have so little access to the gospel. But we're going through, and uh, our, our leader, who's, who's an Indian pastor there, he's, he's leading us, Pastor Stanley. And, and I've seen him at all these crusades, and we've met a lot of people and talked with people, and he's, he's doing some pretty amazing things. God's doing some pretty amazing things through him. We're seeing some salvations. And I meet this family before our last night, and they had a little boy, and his name was Yogesh. Yogesh. And I don't know how I remember that because there were a lot of names. And I actually can pronounce that correctly, so I'm glad. So you guys remember his name. That night was our last night of the crusade. And I remember, like, Brother Stanley, like, he could bring it. But, like, I'm talking about fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, no pastor at Southcrest has anything on Brother Stanley when he brings the fire. You know what I mean? Like, he was, he was speaking and had a translator translating into the local dialect. I kid you not, Brother Stanley, I didn't even know he could do this. He starts speaking in the local dialect. I was like, is that tongues? Like, what's going on? Like, he just starts preaching in a local dialect. The translator's like, all right, man, have at it, you know? And all of a sudden, before I know it, there's all these people just coming to the front. And just, they've never heard the gospel before. They live in an area that they don't even have the Bible in their language. I'm just seeing them flooding forward. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm jet-lagged, it's been long days and I've been sleeping well. I had a stomach issue. Like, it was a terrible, long trip at this point physically for me, but I remember this moment. And the crowds were so big, I didn't notice it at the time, but the, the service dismissed. And this is where I got to really try not to cry, because this is, my God, gosh. I'm over here, kind of on, on this side, I'm walking down, 
Guess who meets me down here? Yogesh. And in, in broken language, he can barely do it. He's trying to say Jesus. I'm like, I got Jesus. And he's pointing to his heart. He's like, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, he's trying to tell me Jesus is in his heart. He's telling me that he believed in the gospel, that he believed in Jesus. Guys, that moment, I got to, I got to pray over him as a new believer. Pray over his life that God would use him and for protection. Thank God for saving him. And I went home that night, 16 years old, and it wrecked me. And in that moment in my life, what I realized is everything that I care about, right? What is it, what is it gonna take for us to care about reaching the unreached? Everything that I cared about, really, things that I was pursuing, had nothing to do with the yogas of the world hearing the gospel. Had nothing and hear God in his grace and his kindness and his mercy shows me and lets me in just a little bit on what is happening around the world. And Lucas comes up to me and he says, I still picture it vividly. He's saying, Jesus, Jesus. And I decided that night, I remember talking with my mom. I was just, I was like, I don't care what I do. But whatever I do with my life, for the rest of my life, I want what I do to count so that the yogeses around the world can hear the gospel. Amen? I don't care. At that point, I didn't know I was going to be a, a pastorate here. I didn't know that. I just said, I don't want to waste my life. I want it to count. I don't want the brand new Toyota Tundra. Like, side note, would be pretty cool, all right? Like, I don't want the 6K salary. I don't want the, the big house. Those are good things. Those are great things. If you ever have those, it doesn't mean that you don't care about God's mission. But Dad, Gumma, at the end of my life, before the throne of God, I want to be like this, like Isaiah. And just saying, God, I've done all that I can. I said, here I am, send me, an unworthy sinner who has done nothing but experience what you've given me, and that's grace. I'm not asking you, friends, to go be a missionary for two years. I'm not even asking you to do it for a year or six months or two weeks. Remember I told you I can't make you care about this. That's Jesus' job. I can point you to where I believe he's leading us. I can point you to his word. My goodness, what I am telling you to do is to not settle for a life that has nothing at all has no impact whatsoever on little boys and girls and men and women getting to go up to someone, somewhere, a Christian, after they've heard the gospel and say, Jesus, Jesus, don't, do not waste your life on something that has nothing to do with it.
I just don't think missions are for me. Guess what? You know what missions entails? Praying, giving, sending, and going. Those first three are pretty straightforward. <laughs> that means three of the four ways that you can be involved and engaged with missions. Absolutely a guarantee you can do that. Some of you are gonna make a lot of money someday. And you can decide, but this is the lot God's given me, and because of this is what he's given me, I'm gonna leverage that so that the yogas around the world can hear the gospel. Some of you are not going to make a lot of money, and that's okay. Some of you are gonna be anywhere in between. You have lawyers, teachers, doctors, physicians, <laughs> nurses, maybe, maybe some pastors in here, I don't know. Engineers, architects. So what I'm asking you tonight is to join me in the conviction. I don't care where God sends me. I, I don't, God, I'm just gonna say, here I am, send me. Whatever you do, somehow, some way, let it have an impact on the Yogeshes. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna go ahead and ask the, the band to, to come up. What's the worst thing that happened if it just didn't care about all that stuff? What if you just continued living for your own agenda and for your own glory? <laughs> the answer to what will happen, I'm gonna go easy on you. <laughs> that question really fires me up is you will miss out on the exact purpose of which you were created. Isaiah 6. As soon as he experiences the grace of God, he says, here I am, send me. You know what Isaiah teaches us? We're not saved just to be saved. We're saved to be sent. The best you can come up with in this life of, of your own will, living for your own self, for your own glory, will be but a shadow of the awesome life that God can give you if you put your yes on the table. Yes, I want to see the Yogeshes in the world point to their heart and say, Jesus is in here. Yes, show me how. Is it through praying? Is it through giving? Is it through sending or going? In order to care about reaching the unreached, you need to put your yes on the table before God. You are saved to be sent. You are called to be called out. And you are set free so you can freely put your yes on the table. In Christ, we all have been brought from woe is me to here I am. The question that I end tonight with is what will you do with that reality? Let's pray. God, in my heart and the hearts of us in this room, some of us are stirred up and that's you. Creating us clean hearts, willing hearts that say to you, 
Wherever you lead, I go. To say to you, here I am, send me. God, I pray against, man, I know it. I can see it in the eyes of, man, I'm gonna call it out. Some of our guys tonight, God, they just don't care and they, they have so many objections. I pray that you would, God, soften their hearts. Help them to see I'm not telling them to be a missionary. I pray you open up the hearts of our men. We need more leaders, God, that we got a lot of girls interested in missions. Lord, we need more guys. I pray for them. Pray for, thank you. Pray for our girls as well, Lord, that you'd show them ways that they're gifted, they can be sent out, that we would open up our hearts and their hands and just say, God, here we are, send us. And we thank you for the Isaiah 6 reality that you've, you've given us the experience of grace through Jesus Christ. And God, may that be, that experience of grace, may that be the, what propels us to say, here I am, send me. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.